And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink. He shall not drink any juice of grapes or eat grapes, fresh or dry. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of his vows of separation, no razor shall touch his head. Until the time is completed from which he separates himself to the Lord, he shall be holy. He shall let the locks of his hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, not even for his father or her or his mother or his brother or sister if they die, shall he make himself unclean, because the separation to God is on his head. All the days of the separation, he is holy to the Lord. And if any man dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. On the eighth day he shall bring two turtle doves, or two pigeons, to the priest to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall offer one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering, and make atonement for him, because he sinned by the reason of the dead body. And he shall consecrate his head that same day, and separate himself to the Lord for the days of the separation, and bring a male lamb, a year old, for a guilt offering. But the pre previous period shall be void, because the separation was defiled. And this is the law of the Nazarite, when the time of the separation has been completed. He shall be brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and he shall bring his gift to the Lord, one male lamb, a year old, without blemish, for a burnt offering, and one new lamb, a year old, without blemish, as a sin offering, and one ram, without blemish, as a peace offering, and a basket of unleavened bread, loaves of fine flour mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and their grain offering, and their drink offerings. And the priest shall bring them before the Lord, and offer his sin offering, and his burnt offering. And he shall offer the ram as a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord, with the basket of unleavened bread. The priest shall offer it also its grain offering, and its drink offering. And the Nazarite shall shave his consecrated head at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and shall take the hair from his consecrated head, and put it on the fire that is under the sacrifice of the peace offering. And the priest shall take the shoulder of the ram when it is boiled, and one unleavened loaf out of the basket, and one unleavened wafer, and shall put them on the hands of the Nazarite, after he has shaved the hair of his consecration. And the priest shall wave them before for a wave offering before the Lord. They are a holy portion for the priest, together with the breast that is waved, and the thigh that is contributed. And after that, the Nazarite may drink wine. This is the law of the Nazarite. But if he vows an offering to the Lord above his Nazarite vow, as he can afford, in exact accordance with the vow that he takes, then he shall do in addition to the law of the Nazarite. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Father, we thank you. 
because we have been blessed with you. The only one who can sufficiently fulfill the, the vows and, and walk in holiness has done so on our behalf and to your glory. And we thank you for him. We thank you that we are blessed indeed because Jesus is our reward. And we ask, Lord, that you would um, just con continue to make it very real to us that because of Jesus, it is finished. We thank you and praise you in Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jackie. Because of Christ, you can give your life away. Because of who Jesus is, you can make vows giving your life away for his glory. So let's do a little interaction here. What are things that are worth living for? Family. Joey, good answer, Father. Or two. Um, y'all just, and then let's give them little babies, <laughs> Sophie, big smile, and little Sammy, okay, you need, that's a baby doll, or baby brother, a baby brother, baby brother, is that, he's bald, so he's looking cute, okay, so family, a dog, you want a dog in it? No. <laughs> How do you draw a dog? <laughs> Waggy tail. Okay. Is that good? I have a Sunday school answer. Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Okay, Shar's the same one here. Um, <laughs> let's save this. Watching Harry Potter. Harry Potter. <laughs> okay. What, how should we do Harry Potter? A lightning bolt? Uh, are you crazy? Yes. A little crazy. <laughs> It's a lightning bolt for his head. If you don't know Harry Potter, oh, you should. the scar. The yes, scar. the scar. You got it. See? What else? What's worth living for? Worship. Worship. Okay. Daughter of the Pentecostal. <laughs> okay. These are, <laughs> these are hands lifted in worship. Just go with it, you guys. Go with it. Others coming to your okay. I'm, I want real answers, but these are good. Uh, so we'll put others coming to Christ over here, right? So they're running to Jesus. Love. Ooh, let's use red. Big old heart. Okay. Good answer. Love. Let's get a few more. Food. What should we draw for food? Let's do a cheeseburger. Are you crazy? Jersey Mike's. You like Jersey Mike's? Okay. The cheeseburger. Good work. Good work? And baseball. Baseball. Okay. Uh, baseball's easier to draw. Well. <laughs> Come on, Stacy. The Peter Alting's are here. That's a baseball, folks. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> Nobody else is thinking. Okay. You guys are not on stall. What about money? Oh, we said hard work, right? Okay, money. What about no. Charlie Brown? Charlie Brown. Don't live for Charlie Brown. This is uh, work. 
right? Hey, what about Charlie Brown? Well, you can enjoy Charlie Brown, but don't live for him. Okay, those are muscles. Could you work? Anything else worth living for? Uh, what the? Yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay, talk about derailing the sermon right before you start. Okay, perfect. Let's not look at those things. So, there are many things that we can come up with that we think, oh, this is worth living for. And it's like jobs, like my identity, or like what I can prove, how I can gain credibility, or what I can achieve in this life. And I, and I imagine like you, I think about these things all the time, right? Some of us were talking about taxes, and it's above Christians' pay grade, and I wish I could say that in, in my account. Um, but there, that's the type of thing, money, we have to worry about. And it's like, am I living for that or am I living for work? And, you know, that performance review, is that a judgment on who I am at the depth of my person? And we spend our lives navigating and thinking through these things. And I'm like, am I giving the right amount of attention, the appropriate amount of attention to these things? Or are they really important in the grand scheme of things? Is Food, while vital for existence, is that something that I should really be living for? Or other things, or entertainment, should I be living for, they think. Are they rightly ordered in my life? And then, if you're like me, you hear stories of Christians in history or around the globe that have gone before us, and I'm struck by what they saw as most important. And we've got a, a young church, so not a lot of us are familiar with um, Eric Little in, when, when he was alive, right? But we know the Chariots of Fire. He was an Olympic runner um, that was also a Presbyterian. And so he determined to go and be a missionary. Right? He wanted to live for the glory of Christ. And he was one of these guys that when he ran, he felt the pleasure of God. Like he knew he was made to do that. But he also gave his life away for the glory of Christ on the mission field. And he was there in China in the 30s. And when it was abundantly clear that the Japanese were going to invade China, he sent his family to Canada to be safe. And then he stayed. And he would actually end up dying in an internment camp because he wanted to continue to preach Christ where he was. And Eric Little had this vision of the glory of God. He was seeing God not as something only supremely important, but exceedingly beautiful. Someone to share, worth living for, worth giving his life for. And I bring up Eric Little because when he had uh, new believers that would come and express faith in Jesus, he had these discipleship questions that he would ask ask them. And I think they're all the more poignant in our day. And here's, here's some of the questions. Are you ready to obey God even if it means loss of faith? Even if it means people aren't going to think you're cool anymore because you follow Jesus. Will you follow God even if it means personal financial loss or being laughed at or some other hardship? Will all this sacrifice really be glad, joyful sacrifice? Are you willing to obey all that the Bible teaches, whether you like it or not? Are you willing to trust God in anything he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? And we find ourselves increasingly in our culture at this moment where these questions actually apply to those who are choosing to follow Jesus. Because it's no longer like this cultural expectation that you would be a believer. You'd be a Christian. 
And in number six, we have this picture of what living for God is supposed to look like in the camp, what living to honor him actually looks like. And there's also then a prayer that if we have eyes to see it, I think points to a better vow that we can cling to. The story of Israel in the wilderness is for us an invitation to this wholehearted, full life commitment to the Lord. And it's where blessing and peace are actually found. So because of Christ, you can give your life away. So we start with the the wilderness vow. We start here. This is the person. and They're making a vow. Upward. So it's an arrow, not a tree. And uh, but we're we're in the wilderness, so there's we've got to have a tent, right? A tabernacle. It was much more beautiful than that. We've got we have cactus in Israel. No. Okay, so that's not in the wilderness. So this is a wilderness vow. It's between us and upward toward God. And you think of what's going on in number six. And they're, uh, they come off of this direct uh, interaction with the danger of unfaithfulness. When the husband is jealous or concerned that his wife has been unfaithful, how do they deal with that? And then we immediately from that have this new picture of faithfulness to God that is on display. At this moment, when we read this story, all of Israel is in the wilderness. They are out of Egypt. They are on their way to the promised land. God has given them, through his word and his leaders, instructions on how to live as his people, set apart for him. How to be different from everyone else that doesn't worship or know the one true God. And at the center of the camp, there was this tent where the presence of God would dwell. Now, God is spirit and he's far too big to be in one place. But he chose to be with these people who he called his own. And then in the camp, there are priests that kept the tent clean and safe, kept outsiders away from it and kept it as a holy place. And then Moses and Aaron were chosen by God to lead the people and represent them in his presence. And the priests have then in the camp this special role that their whole lives are devoted, dedicated to worshiping God. And while all of Israel was to worship this God alone, they were to worship Yahweh, the one at the center of their camp. There was opportunity for others, both men and women, to separate themselves to the Lord, to be committed, to give all of their attention to God, living with no distractions in worship to him. Some would make this Nazarite vow a lifelong commitment. We know stories of Samson, Samuel, John the Baptist, all lifelong Nazarites. But for most, this type of devotion was meant to be temporary. It was to be a month long or a period of time that they determined was right for them. And then they would take this vow and they had to commit to three things that are key, that they would first separate from wine or beer, or as it's translated, strong drink. And, and this is to stay essentially more than sober for them. There's no drink with alcohol in it, which for them in this 
era of human history is primarily just wine, the fruit of the vine, and they just had to cut out grapes uh, completely from their diet. They can not have vinegar made from wine. They were to have nothing from the vine as long as they're about no grapes, no raisins, no grape leaves wrapping up other things. And it was an inward portion of their vow to be in the right mind, to be conscious and clear about their commitment to God. And then they're also to separate themselves from cutting their hair. Now, when I read this and it's like, no razor shall touch your head, like, That'd be great. I'd save costs on razors, right? But it would not look pretty when my hair grew out. I wonder, do you like haircuts? Jack says, yes, Ewan hates haircuts. Like he, doesn't, he doesn't like to get them, so he could be a, a really good Nazarite. But there, no razor shall touch your head. It's not so bad for the ladies that have taken this vow, right? Because it's normative then and even now to have longer hair. Uh, But this is clearly making a statement for the men that are taking this vow and this commitment. And the whole time of their vow, they're to let their hair grow out. And you can remember, kids, maybe Samson and how he had strength from God and cutting his hair made him vulnerable to the enemy. And the scripture tells us what would happen then. Your hair would be cut in the tabernacle as part of the sacrifice to mark the end of your vow, so as to grow out the whole length, however long you had determined to be committed as unto the Lord, you would keep your hair growing. And where wine is an inward kind of oriented portion of vow, this is an outward oriented portion of the vow because your appearance is letting others know that you're committed to the Lord. It's like the song, uh, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? You're not hiding it under a bushel. You're letting your hair grow. So both the priestly crown that they would wear and the Nazarites uncut hair reminded other people of their dedication to God's service. And in this way, the dedication of the Nazarites was a challenge to every Israelite to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And then thirdly, they were to separate from dead bodies. And I think maybe this is the easiest one, right? Because who wants to be around death and Even then, with it more of a regular experience, during their vow, they could not touch or be around the dead because it was something that made them ceremonially unclean. Because God is holy and pure, those that were in his presence had to reflect that holiness, and death was something that would require getting clean again if they were around it at all. But Nazarites were to be pure before God, so they could not be around The dead. So if family died, they couldn't go to the funeral because if they did, their vow would be broken. If someone just randomly died next to them, their vow was defiled and they'd have to start the process all over again after they'd been made clean. Where we have an inward of staying pure before the Lord, an outward expression of others seeing my commitment. This is an upward Um, expression of the vow to God because he is holy and perfect, devoted to him, untainted by death. We truly are set apart, made clean. When the time of separation of these things was complete, they would get a haircut, make sacrifices, and with the help of a priest, and it was all done as an act of worship to God in the tabernacle for others to see. And 
What's fascinating, I don't know if you noticed, if you were rich, you could do more than just that basic vow. We see in verse 21, this is the law of the Nazarite, but if he vows an offering to the Lord above his Nazarite vow, as he can afford in exact accordance with the vow that he takes, he shall do in addition to the law of the Nazarite. So he could sacrifice more, he could commit more, but it's all about a wholehearted, intentional, all my attention is on the worship of God. Like I'm living my whole life for him. These are people devoted to God, honoring him, glorifying him with life lived for him alone. And who might be uh, similar to the Nazarites in our day? Maybe missionaries, those that sacrifice life in uh, an experience that they know well or a culture they know well and, and go cross-culturally to others to draw them to Jesus, to give them the truth of the gospel. I think in our day, celibate Christians that see restrictions in Scripture as something to follow and then they set apart part of who they are as holy to God. Those that are financially generous, that are quick to give for the sake of the gospel and the kingdom. And those that are generous with their time, that are always faithful, always able to count upon these people. When everyone is supposed to have this vibe, this commitment to God like the Nazarites, we see that in other believers today. But a little bit like Israel, it's something of a select group at times, those that give their life away to God, and they inspire the rest of us to do the same. And here's the thing, though, when we look at the Nazarite vow, when we think about, oh, should I go home and determine not to cut my hair? No, Jonas, you should schedule that appointment, right? If, it, if it's unto the Lord, then sure, right? Or like, do I need to give up wine or strong drink? Maybe. But this isn't a call for us to take the Nazarite vow because Nazarites then, and likely the types that are like Nazarites today, didn't do these things to earn anything. Did you notice that? Like, in preparation this week, I was like, that was like an aha moment for me, that there is nothing here in the instructions about what the Nazarites are to do as worship, separating themselves as unto the Lord. There's no indication that they got anything for it. In fact, they were just giving over. There was no indication that they were going to become more famous in the camp that they were going to achieve more favor with God, that there was a prize after their vow was finished. This is all just sacrifice, giving over to the Lord. And they did it, I think, because that is what Israel was supposed to look like. They're people who recognize that this is who we are. This is what we're called to, a kingdom of priests set apart for God. And when not everyone in the camp wanted to live this way, they were willing to give it their best because they knew that's who they were. They committed themselves to God because he is so good to them, so glorious. They made their vow in response to the grace of being redeemed of being brought out, of being given food every day because they understood the gift they had in relationship to God. And I think it's because they realized the hope of a vow that was more wonderful. So then we see a wonderful vow. 
we have to draw this one. And this is a vow, oops, no, this way. That comes from God to his people. And so we need maybe a cloud of smoke. And then we need some fire. This is the wonderful vow. God instructs Aaron to pray over the people of Israel, to bless them. So if we're going to know any scripture in number six by heart or have heard it before, it's probably this blessing. And to bless, as defined by the dictionary, is to ask for God's help and protection for someone or something or to call or make someone or something holy. And this is what Aaron was to say, what the priests were to say over the people of Israel. The Lord, Yahweh, bless you and keep you. The Lord, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So bless here. God blesses by giving good harvest, peace, children, and his own presence to the people keeping he guards and protects them making his face to shine a a shining face is essentially just a smiling face it's like sunshine on your face it's the reception of favor of god and then his countenance this is being seen and giving you peace this total well-being that israel was to have and this benediction then serves as a reminder and a starting point for the people of Israel. It's proof of their life to that point and what is to come in the future, that he will bless them. And this is where then God makes his vow, his wonderful vow. It's in, in verse 27. And he says, So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. I will Bless them. This is the sure thing. It can be trusted. This is the wonderful vow that he's making that would draw people to sacrifice their lives for his glory, for their experience of good, but honoring him because of who he was. When he says, I will bless them, it's like when one of your parents, now every like family that there's one parent who you know is better at giving you sugar, Right? At least in the Schrader household, they know if they're going to ask for a certain number of pieces of candy or something that they ask their father, not their mother. And she still gives them sugar, but it's more restrained, right? She's still learning about grace. But there, so there's likely a parent in your family that is more likely to be trusted when they say, I will give you ice cream, right? Because you've learned over time that when that parent says, I'm going to give you ice cream, they will, in fact, give you ice cream, right? If you just met them like a first time, they're like, I'll give you ice cream. You may not know that they really will, but you have learned because you've been cared for and have received the promise. And this is the exact same thing happening for Israel, that I will bless them. And he's proven it, right? He freed them, all of them, from slavery. He gave them food for every day in the wilderness. And he promised them a home. And he's given his presence along the way through the fire and the smoke. They could see the presence of God. He gives them a vow to hold on to that would carry you through the wilderness. 
that would inspire you to take on this Nazarite vow to be set apart unto him because he had been so kind to you. And I think on our journey with Jesus in our day, some of us could use something to hold on to like those indicators for Israel. Maybe even someone to hold on to. It's not dependent on your ability to take a vow, to give up something, or to make significant sacrifices. He has promised to bless his people. And this prayer was crucial for Israel. In fact, it is the oldest evidence of the name of God, Yahweh, that we actually have, was because it was found on a silver amulet in a Judean tomb that ranged from 700 B.C. It was meaningful. It would always be prayed for the people of Israel. But here's what I hope that we'll see when we hear this blessing. As vital as Aaron's blessing is for Israel, as the center of their existence, really, it's like their key prayer. I think it actually points to the wonderful vow's completion. To Jesus, to the Messiah. He who came to bless with provision in his own presence who keeps us secure in his finished work for us on the cross whose face has shined upon us who came in the flesh he takes on our experience and sees us he's gracious to us given what we could never earn or deserve and he is the one that sees us and gives you peace We're given blessing not because we take a vow or live up to what is required to stand before a holy God, but because Jesus did in our place, taking on the curse of sin for us. The ultimate expression of God's desire to bless us is Christ's sacrifice for us. Jesus is the perfect Nazarite in our place. Paul will write to the Galatian church, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For his written cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It's a blessing that is no longer for Israel alone, but for all who would believe to be made his people, to be where real peace is found. In Ephesians 2, we see, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Drawn in by his blood, given peace, made into the tabernacle, the temple, the dwelling place. 
reconciled to God by the work of Christ. One writer says he needed no sin offering or guilt offering made on his behalf in order to enter the presence of his heavenly father. Jesus himself was the spotless atonement offering whose blood enables you and me to draw near to the presence of the holy God and experience his blessing. He gave his life to enable you to share in God's feast. I had a friend, like, we would read scripture, and we would come to a text like this, and where he would say, I will bless them. And he'd be like, that's just for Israel. Like, then you've never met Christ because of his finished work. This is for you, friend. You can underline this. You can memorize this wonderful vow that God says, I will bless them because his name has put a, been put upon you by the finished work of Christ. So to Aaron's blessing in Christ, we can say yes and amen. Because Jesus, our Lord, it truly is finished. We are his and that is worth giving our life to. So when Shar says, well, the answer to the question of what's worth living for, well, well, Jesus, the Sunday school answer, which it's Sunday, we'll call this school, right? Paul will say to the Roman church, I appeal to you then, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Even when we... Do it imperfectly. We are his. He has put his name upon us. He will bless us. This wonderful vow is for you. But he himself is our peace. In Jesus, we now receive God's blessing. Now my sin and faithlessness has been fully paid for. Now Jesus has been raised up from the dead and exalted to the right hand of the Father. And he has returned once again to the Father's favor and has been given the name above every name, never again to be separated from his blessing. And what's more, where he is there, I shall be also according to his word according to his wonderful vow for us in Scripture. When we sing, you're a man of your word, we mean it. So are you ready to obey God even if it means loss of face? Will you follow God even if it means personal financial loss or being laughed at or some other hardship? Will all this sacrifice really be glad, joyful sacrifice? Are you willing to obey all that the Bible teaches, whether you like it or not? Are you willing to trust God in anything he sends into your life, whether you understand it or not? Oh, Lord, may our answers be yes, come what may on this journey with you. Because of Christ, you can give your life away. So, friends, experience the wonderful vow. Know that Jesus is for you. He wants you to have peace and he makes a way for you. Repent of your disregard of God, your sinful de-emphasizing of him in your life and receive his grace for you. His name is upon you. He will bless you. And then express your own wilderness vow. Surrender to Jesus in new ways. Commit your life to him 
Jesus has you, you can go for it. There is no risk. Do it all for His glory. May we see His glory. May we see His beauty. May we be forever changed. What is worth living for? Jesus. Let's live. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, we thank you for this wonderful vow that you have made to your people and to us through the finished work of Christ. You truly do bless us and keep us. You've made your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us, that you've lifted up your countenance, that you see us and you have given us peace by your finished work, Jesus. Because of you Your name has been put upon us and you have blessed us and will bless us. Lord, help us to see that in uh, fresh ways this week, that you have claimed us and that you are providing for us and drawing us to lives that we give over to you for your glory. Lord, help us increasingly see your glory just like Israel, recognizing the fire and the smoke in our lives that we would follow after you because we can trust your word because you've kept your vow. In Jesus' name.